Hello and welcome to Canna Chicks Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we talk all about alternative medicine and how to heal ourselves mentally and physically. Today, I'm here with Melissa Hunter, a licensed professional counselor who specializes in the treatment of OCD, body-focused repetitive behaviors such as hair pulling and skin picking, panic disorder, and high anxiety. She also provides treatment using ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is what we are going to talk all about today. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to happy to be here with you. Of course. So let's first talk about your experience struggling with mental health and what methods you use for treatment. Okay. Um, so my struggle with mental health started like a lot of people's when I was in uh, my teen years. Um, I started to experience high anxiety and depression as a teenager and um was kind of told, you know, that's too bad, <laughs> get over it. Um, and when I moved into adulthood in my early 20s, I was really having profound episodes of major depressive disorder with anxiety, which are often coupled together. That's not that uncommon. Um, I also had a few traumatic experiences, as unfortunately a lot of us do. Um, and I started to seek ways to feel better. Um, this was kind of back when Prozac was a big deal. Like that was the big thing being pushed on the market at the time. So I was pushed on, uh, put on Prozac. And Prozac is what's called a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It's a classification of drugs that is used primarily to treat depression. Um, that didn't really work. Well, it worked until it failed. And this is a, also a common thing with antidepressants. Um, they aren't always that helpful. So they might get you through the rough patches, but they don't always actually help you feel better. They might make you feel different, but typically there's side effects with them. Uh, most commonly with things like Prozac, it's going to be weight gain, weight loss, increased sleeping, not sleeping, feeling dull, blunted, feeling like the world is kind of outside of your reach, um, sleeping too much. Uh, I think I mentioned that. Um, no libido, no sex drive. So for me, I was on Prozac for a while, stopped working. Uh, got put on, I don't even know what I got put on next. I got put on another SSRI. Um, worked for a while, didn't work. So for me, this was a 30-year cycle. Um, there were times when I wasn't medicated, but inevitably depression would come back for me. Uh, a lot of times it was also accompanied by suicidal ideation or even um, the desire and having the intention of wanting to, to take my own life um, and then being put on antipsychotics. Uh, you know, which is a whole different class of drugs, um, like things like lithium and much harder uh, medications. So this was kind of like how I lived for a really, really long time, going in and out of these depressive cycles with uh, increasing anxiety. Um, and then uh, in 2014, 2013, 
I became really quite ill with depression. Um, I hadn't felt good for about six months. I was having trouble getting out of bed, uh, was barely functioning. I was in grad school at the time. Um, it was awful. I couldn't make dinner for my family. I just had no, nothing was working. And at the time I felt like my best choice would have been to take my life. I really had no desire at that point to live. I really didn't see what the point was. I was not even hopeless at that point. I was just beyond giving a damn, <laughs> which is a really dangerous place to be. Um, I did reach out and tell somebody how I was feeling. And I was taken to the emergency room. And this was in Colorado. So when you go to the emergency room on a mental health crisis, typically you'll be mandated to what's called a 72-hour hold. So I was taken from the emergency room to a psychiatric hospital um, and was locked down in that psych hospital for five days. During that time, a doctor, a psychiatrist came in and said, look, if you failed on everything before, the, really, the only thing left is to do electroconvulsive therapy, uh, which is a very old form of medicine. I think it dates back to the 1930s, where basically your brain is electrocuted. Um, they either do it unilaterally or they do it bilaterally, which means they hit one hemisphere. So we went ahead and did bilateral Electro, uh, electroconvulsive therapy or ECT three times a week for about a month. Um, and I got better. I got really better. I stopped being depressed at all. I also lost a lot of my short-term and long-term memory. But the interesting thing about that experience was every time I'd come out of the electroconvulsive therapy, which really is, it takes a couple of minutes, they put you under, there's an anesthesia that's used, so you're put under, and, um, you know, they do the electrocution for 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. And every time I came out of it, I would be really sick. I'd be wanting to throw up, dry heaving and whatnot. And they said, well, that's actually a reaction to ketamine. So I realized, oh, okay. I, ketamine was used every time to put me under. Well, a couple of years later in 2017, I started to feel depressed again, and I started reading up on alternatives to ECT since that was so profoundly debilitating with the memory loss. And I realized that ketamine was now a thing. This was pretty early in the world. Uh, it was off-label. There were just a few doctors around the country giving ketamine infusions for depression, and one of them was in Denver. So I went to see this guy. Dr. Roman Langston, who I will forever be grateful to. And I had three infusions of ketamine and again, no depressive symptoms, just completely wiped away, which makes me believe probably ECT. I could have avoided it and just done ketamine <laughs> and had probably similar results. So that kind of catches you up to now. So I'm a, I am a consumer of ketamine. Um, since that time, I haven't really had depression come back. It's come back mildly. And I now take ketamine sublingually. So I take it at home, at my leisure, um, when I feel like I might be slipping back into symptoms. I've also become a ketamine-assisted psychotherapist 
So now I actually help people integrate ketamine when they take it sublingually so they can actually get the most out of it and help with symptoms really. Cause that's, that's the name of the game. We don't know anything that's going to cure these mental health issues, but this is an incredibly exciting medicine because it's changing things for lots and lots of people in a really positive way. Yeah. Like that's a really, you know, crazy journey you had to go through. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> And, you know, finding ketamine, you know, before it was like more popular and taking the chance and seeing how it works, like, wow, that's like, what are the methods for uh, ingesting ketamine? Well, the the three main ones, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some um, really, really off-label ways of doing it. But the three things that come to my mind are, are through IV. Right. And then that's how I had it the first time exclusive of the ECT. So I went and had it IV. They hook you up. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, there's a certain calculation they use to determine how much is necessary, kind of based on body weight. And when you do it that way, you're kind of in that psychedelic place for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, typically a doctor is present or a nurse practitioner when you do that, possibly a therapist. The second way is to do it. Well, there's actually four ways. Second way would be to do it intramuscularly. So for instance, if you're doing it through an IV, you're going to do a much lower dose because naturally it's going straight into the bloodstream, right? You can have it done intramuscularly like a shot, um, that may or may not last for a while. So some people will say that lasts a couple of hours to five or six hours because you don't get to kind of turn off when you want to. So, you know, with the IV, they unhook it. You don't get any more medicine. You're done. Um, intra intramuscularly, it might last quite a bit longer. Um, also, you can do it sublingually, which is how I do it and also how my my clients do it. So that means you get like a, a round disc through a compounding pharmacy and you hold that sublingually, usually for seven to 15 minutes. And then you spit, you don't swallow the sublingual because a lot of times stomach upset is accompanied by that. And also then you don't really know how long you're going to be tripping on it. You could be tripping for hours. So usually you spit really about maximum of 15 minutes. Uh, by then you should be into the trip pretty well by then. Mm -hmm. um, the third way that it's prescribed now is uh, little trochies. So that might be somebody who's going to do it every day at a microdosing level, right? So you might take it at night. It might be something very slight, like under 50 milligrams, uh, maybe 15 milligrams, 10 milligrams. Um, you dissolve it under your tongue. It's kind of like a, the ones I have seen and have used are little, they feel almost like a little waxy ball and they just simply dissolve. I would take it at night, go to bed. Um, and some people find that's a very effective means of using ketamine. They don't necessarily want the psychedelic piece to it. They just kind of want to see if there's longer term change over time. Hmm. So I didn't even the, know you could 
microdose ketamine. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to psilocybin in that regard. Mm. You can do it. So um, does it make your body more euphoric, or how how does well, that microdose make you feel? I think yeah, yeah, it does. Um, again, I usually did it at night um, because it can. You know, it, it gets you very relaxed. So you certainly don't want to be like taking it first thing in the morning and jumping in the car. Um, not safe to drive on or, you know, run heavy equipment or machinery. Um, I did notice, and this is also uh, proven in, in studies, is you, ketamine is something you do develop tolerance to, right? So a lot of times then you might need a little bit more the next time you do it. Um, same thing with the trochis. Sometimes you might start really low at 10 and a couple of weeks into it, you might notice maybe I need to be higher at 20. Right. So, um, it is, it is kind of relaxing. Like if you were doing psilocybin, um, you're not going to be out of it. And that would probably be more what we considered psycholytic, right? So there's psychedelic in the dose and then there's psycholytic. And that's where you're, you're getting benefits from the medicine, but you're not necessarily, feeling it in a conscious way. Mm. Um, the great thing about ketamine is you, well, there's different schools of thought. Some people think the trip is highly important, that that's a huge part of change, you know, having an ego death type of experience or really breaking down barriers. So you're more open to change. Um, but we know actually the medicine continues to work up to, well, we're seeing all kinds of things now. We know traditionally it works up to about two to three weeks after you do it. And then we're finding with integration of the medicine, it can work up to three months after you do it. So huge. Three months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was just a fascinating um, study just published and it was actually highlighted in NPR this week about this study they did. I think they had 159 participants. So half of them, they were depressive uh, patients, right? Half of them did ketamine and the other half did ketamine and then saw smiling faces on a little um, app or something like that, or they were exposed to positive affirmation or pictures of nature for 45 minutes a day and they had results lasting up to three months so the great thing is with neuro with ketamine just as all psychedelics is this neuroplasticity is created right these pathways that weren't open to us before are now available to us and it's really important to fill ourselves up with ideas of where we want to go you know, if I'm studying, struggling with depression, maybe one of the things I want to think about is uh, how do I live with more freedom? How do I uh, create more joy in my life? How do I embrace self-acceptance, right? So we know when we integrate these kind of ideas after the uh, use of the medicine, the brain is highly receptive to start to incorporate that as how we out have our outlook or how we view ourselves, right? So there really is kind of like still that ego death and rebirth going on long after the fact of taking the, med the medicine. 
Yeah, that's really amazing. Like, I've never taken ketamine myself, but, you know, my experience with psychedelics, I've seen that my brain has expanded so much after, like, even a month after. The way I think is different. I'm more positive. And it's amazing that it's not just that one experience. It can, you know, last for a while, and that's very beneficial. Absolutely, yeah. And And I I want... Oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you how, you know, what can a person expect when going, trying ketamine for the first time? Like the come up or feelings? I would, I would really strongly suggest people not have any expectations. (laughs) Okay. So I think definitely you want set and setting. And again, I'm not recommending that people do this recreationally at all. Um, There's not really great outcomes with recreational use. If you want to use it as an exploration of treating mental health symptoms, I would, of course, say try to do it, you know, with a professional who can give you the right dose, right, and also use integration. Um, uh, So I think, I know for me, um, last spring, I was uh, starting to use ketamine uh, sublingually. And like I said, I had, I had some slight depression going on and I thought, Oh, you know, I'm going to come out of this and feel great. And it's really going to be wonderful. And, you know, I had remembered having just such a great time doing it uh, through um, IV and I had a really bummer of a trip, you know, a lot of negative things that I didn't even know I was kind of thinking about came up. Um, a lot of negative self-concept came up and I, I got, you know, after the trip was over, I was kind of like, well, that sucked. That's not at all what I expected. And I felt really disappointed and I thought, well, I guess it didn't work. Um, and I think that's the thing is like, we don't always know what's going to come up for us. What I did notice was afterwards, as I was still doing integration, you know, the next couple of days or week after that, still thinking like, you know, one of my intentions was I want to be um, tapping more into some of the creativity, right, of being able to use more of the part of my brain that I don't think I'd necessarily dominate in, right? Um, I was doing some creative endeavors. And that was still working as I was still integrating towards what my intention was. There were changes that were being made. Um, I did notice after about five or six days that my depression had decreased. So I don't know that it's good to have any expectation. Now, if you're going to do it at a psychedelic dose, of course, you're going to have an altered state of mind. Um, I typically, when I work with patients, we have a playlist. So I have them wear headphones and I also have them wear eye covers. Usually they're at home, you know, in their bed or in a comfortable position. I always recommend, well, I always require that a chaperone be present. Um, There are times when people really do have a bad time with this and it is dissociative. So you want to make sure you're not like getting up and running out of the house. Um, Right. So it's always uh, best practice to have somebody with you who is not doing it, um, who can kind of help you. Like, let's say you're tripping and you need to go to the bathroom. You might need help walking there. Um, 
But again, I think just being open to whatever the medicine is going to bring to you. Um, and I think this is one thing I love about it is it's, it's this cross between uh, researched, uh, clinically supported medicine, and it's organic, it's uh, trippy and beautiful and psychedelic, and it helps us access the, some of the most beautiful parts of ourselves that we might not even be aware that we possess, right? So mm -hmm. it's definitely contraindicated. It's not wise to use it if you have any kind of delusion happening, any kind of psychotic episodes or, or current uh, mania, not a good time to use ketamine. So there's times when it, you, you're just not going to be an appropriate person. The other thing is um, it creates high blood pressure. So you want to make sure that you're taking your blood pressure before you start. Um, and again, if you're working with a clinician, this would be basically a requirement. We typically look for blood pressure um, 90 over 140 needs to be lower than that because we do know it does tend to escalate it. Um, but as far as the actual trip goes, you know, who knows? The other thing that's super interesting too is um, they have isolated. So they've split the molecule apart. Johnson and Johnson did this um, a couple years ago. So ketamine is a two-sided molecule. There's S-ketamine and R-ketamine. And R-ketamine has the psychedelic property to it. So Johnson & Johnson split it apart and they have now created S-ketamine, which is the non-psychedelic part of the, of the drug. So you can get ketamine that has no psychedelic properties to it. Uh, it's taken intranasally. Okay, so that's the fifth way. You snort it like you would Afrin or, you know, some kind of allergy medicine. And usually you do this in a uh, psychiatrist's office or a ketamine provider's office, and then you wait two hours. So you don't get any of the properties of mind expansion, at least not consciously. The medicine is still going to work. So I do have clients that are like, I am too afraid to let go and be in a psychedelic state of mind. And in this case, S-ketamine is perfect. You can still do the medicine and still get great results from it. That's great that there's another option for the people because I know there's a lot that won't ever even want to hallucinate. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. You got to be kind of strong for that because you don't know what's going <laughs> to come up. Um, yeah. But yeah, are there any like long-term side effects? So unlike with other psychiatric medicine, there really isn't. Um, usually when you come out of it from an IV or from a sublingual experience, you might be kind of, you know, woozy, a little bit high the rest of the day. Um, so you don't want to do it like, I'm going to do this at eight and go to work at nine online. You know, I think it's more beneficial if you do it in the afternoon so you have the rest of the evening to just kind of savor it or, you know, you're just not going to be your normal self. Um, there is some evidence that shows it can have impacts on the bladder. So 
there's a lot of research being done now, like at what level would that happen, right? So we see this in chronic ketamine users who are people that are using it recreationally and they might be using thousands of milligrams, right? A lot of times what happens is eventually they develop bladder cancer or some kind of dysfunction with the bladder because it's not only processed in the liver, there sometimes can be deposits in the bladder. Um, I wouldn't think that if you're doing, you know, six infusions, um, you're going to necessarily have an issue with this. This is more for chronic long-term use. Um, so again, you know, some people like if they're using it sublingually or not, uh, that might be something to talk to their physician about. Um, there is a study I was just reading yesterday that was indicating in mice when they give them green tea, um, it actually helps capture the free radicals right? So they don't get uh, caught up in the lining of the bladder. So they did this, you know, with a hundred and something mice, some of them got ketamine uh, and that's it. And some of them got ketamine, but were given a, a bladder flush with green tea. And they found that they actually had nothing. There was no impact whatsoever on the bladder. Um, again, this is like a minimal you know how the commercials when they're talking about a drug and they go and blah blah blah, 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 blah might be a side effect. Yeah, it's, this is kind of like that level. Um, so again, probably contraindicated for anybody who is having severe bladder issues or bladder cancer or anything like that. Uh, probably want to talk to your doctor about that. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, like unlike a you know an antipsychotic or uh, an antidepressant, you don't have to use this for six, eight, 12 weeks, and then kind of see if you feel better. People sometimes would tell me right after the session, I'm different. I feel different. So it can be instantaneous or a lot of times um, I'll hear back from a client a week later and they'll be saying, definitely feeling different now, right? Um, and so that's why it's really interesting because some people can do a couple um, ketamine experiences and have really great results and other people might end up doing six or people might say they do really well and then they come back in three or six months because symptoms are returning but it's a lot less invasive than having to take a pill every single day right or for some people multiple pills every single day and you're going to know right away if it works so there's no guesswork like well let's do this for three months and see if you feel better it's like, no, <laughs> we're going to know right away if it's working, right? You can yeah. kind of be your own advocate for this. You determine when you feel like you feel well enough. I remember you saying how SSRIs have like a 30% like chance of working and then mm -hmm. ketamine, what has 70 to 80% efficacy yeah. rate? Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. crazy. <laughs> yeah. There was a huge meta study that came out. I think this summer, I read it in September, where they looked at, I don't even know how many clinical trials of SSRIs. And what they discovered was that SSRIs have never been thought to work that well. There really wasn't a ton of research that was like, this is a great idea. You know, I always think of SSRIs because they're, you know, let's face it, there's not parity with physical health and mental health. Right, we're still fighting to get the same uh, insurance coverage with our mental health that we do with physical health. So, if SSRIs 
were a heart medicine and they have about 30% efficacy, they would never have been on the market because we wouldn't allow 70% of people to suffer and possibly die if we were prescribing them, say, as a heart medicine, like if they work that way. And because they were mental health, for decades, we were kind of like, meh, good enough, I guess. You know, I hope it works, right? So I think one of the exciting things about the psychedelic movement is we're starting to include the client, the patient, in their own recovery, right? We're not saying anymore, I'm the expert on your body, so I'm going to prescribe you X, Y, and Z. Just trust me, right? We're starting to say, you are your own best advocate. How do you want to feel? And I'm alongside with you to help you get there, right? You know what you need. Your body has the wisdom to heal itself given the right opportunity, right? To me, that's like amazing. <laughs> you know, This is really interesting work. And the thing is too, we're, I think we're a little... Um, we kind of pound our own chest, like, whoa, look at us, we've got psychedelics. Well, for millennial, people use psychedelics, right? This is old, old, old wisdom and old medicine that finally we're catching up to saying, actually, we can clinically support that it works. We've got the ability now to say something does happen and we don't necessarily have to understand it to know it's important and it works. Right. You know, the idea that just popped in my head was the medicines that they've been giving people for mental health have been numbing instead of expanding. And like mm -hmm. that's why psychedelics are so good because you need to change the way your brain thinks for you to get better in a mental health situation, not numb it down and keep it in like a box. That's just wow. <laughs> it is yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I like we've had all this stuff for so long and they just didn't, they just wanted to make these pills. And I think it's insane that they knew this 30% efficacy this whole time. And they just kept going along with it. Like they're just making people, do you get addicted to SSRIs, right? No, 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 no. there is a withdrawal but from it. So it's really not withdrawal. healthy, can be very dangerous to just abruptly like go, I'm not taking sertraline anymore. Goodbye. Um, it'll, it'll, it's rough. It's really yeah. rough. So yeah. not psychologically addicting, but you have to titrate down, right? Here's the great thing about doing ketamine. When you, let's say, are treating depression, you don't have to stop your current medication, right? So you don't have to wait to titrate down two, three, six, eight, ten 10 weeks, right? You can do it now. Because for one thing, if you're taking medication and you're coming, say to me for ketamine assisted psychotherapy, my, I'm saying your medication doesn't work, right? It's a fail, right? Then what happens a lot of times is people do ketamine, they feel good, the medicine is working and they are like, okay, I'm gonna titrate down anyways because this other stuff doesn't work, right? So that is one of the benefits. Like you don't, you know, when you're on SSRIs, a lot of times you have to get off of one, before you can titrate up on another, right? So it, it really is, uh, the ease of use is incredible and it doesn't interfere. So some people might say, look, there's one thing that works well for me, like this one, 
I'm finding really does work well. It really addresses these symptoms. We don't have to go off of that. You could still stay on that even after the ketamine if you felt like that was a benefit. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's some people who take so many meds at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's actually so scary. But then they find something new that can replace most of their meds or all of their meds. And it's unbelievable, like (laughs) for real. Yeah, it definitely can happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what are some results you have seen with uh, your patients with depression and ketamine? Well, not only with depression, with um, with OCD and PTSD, you know, and high anxiety um, and complex trauma. So I've had uh, years ago, I had a, a client who was really struggling with some very uh, severe complex trauma coupled with some uh, pretty debilitating OCD symptoms. So basically not able to leave the house Um really struggling in relationships because the trauma piece kept coming in and was really, well, he was having a lot of suicidal ideation as well. Right. So um, we went ahead and um, this was before I was practicing ketamine assisted psychotherapy. I sent him to uh, a doctor in Colorado and it, you know, within a month, the depression had pretty much disappeared. The OCD symptoms were much, much less. The anxiety was manageable. And there was, we were uh, working a little bit on the, the trauma piece and he was starting to feel more reconciled to what had happened, right? Starting to come to a different understanding about it and how he could accept it, even though it was, you know, hugely painful. So, I mean, I've seen it take people from the depths of despair to like, oh my God, I'm living in color. I see color again, right? Um, it's it's really been amazing. Now, I myself specialize in, in OCD, like you were saying, uh, a lot of anxiety spectrum disorders and the clients that I've had that have done it have also gotten really remarkable results where maybe they've been on medication for years and have really not seen any reduction in symptoms. Um, I, I feel very strongly about it, almost evangelical. Now, I would never recommend it to somebody that I I don't think it would be a good fit for, and I never force it on my clients. It's always their choice. Um, But for the people that have done it, that I've worked with, it's been pretty amazing. You know, I really think it was, I think it was uh, 2015, um, Newsweek hailed it as one of the top 10 most important medical discoveries in a hundred years, um, wow. use of ketamine for mental health disorders. Yeah. And they're <laughs> right, right? This is psychedelics and the way we're approaching them now are going to change mental health the way we know it. Right. And I think part of Definitely. the important work that you have to do and I have to do is to destigmatize what it is. This isn't a a dirty little drug that people do in the alley. This is legitimate medicine, just like psilocybin is an MDMA. This is legitimate medicine and the clinical findings that are coming out right now empirically support that this is, this works. It's not like, yeah, I think if you have a trip, you might feel better. It's like, no, hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of people in these studies are showing the efficacy of this medicine 
It's wonderful. Yeah. Now, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for a whole lot more than what we were seeing with other medications. That's beautiful. Like I've, I've been reading how like they, they're saying the psychedelics are like the cancer cure of the mental health world. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, yeah, I think we're going to see big stuff is coming. Changes. Yes. And it's, we're, we're at the bottom of the wave right now. It's just, it really is going to be something, something big. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for informing me and my audience all about ketamine. You're welcome. <laughs> and tell, tell people where they can find you and where you oh. practice. All right. So um, I practice, I'm licensed in uh, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, New Jersey, Colorado, and Florida. So I do online ketamine-assisted psychotherapy there. Um, you can find me at Countercurrent CBT. That's my website, or uh, you can Google Melissa Hunter Therapy, and I'll probably take you there. Uh, the other place that you can find me is Pierveda, P-E-E-R-V-I-D-A.com. This is peer support groups um, that are facilitated by people like myself who are clinicians with the lived experience. Um, and we will be doing an AMA on ketamine Um probably in about two and a half to three weeks in November. So if you'd like to sign up and uh, be able to ask questions you might have around it, please look, look me up at purevita.com. Um, and that's, that's it. I, you know, it's just been a pleasure being here and talking to your audience about this wonderful, wonderful medicine. Of course. Thank you so much. And that will all be listed in the description below. <laughs> thank you so much, Melissa. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together. Okay.